You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. All right, so today's guest is Carlos Patiao. We've seen each other uh, all over town over the years, and, and I'm really excited to have him join us today. So, Carlos, welcome to the show. All right, pleasure to be with you. So, Carlos, the, the way we normally start our show is we just ask our guests, you know, why should we listen to you? And it gives you kind of a chance to just give a brief overview of, you know, what you've accomplished in the real estate investing world. Um, I have 150 units. My goal was to have 100. So, so let's go back to uh, where you first got started. You said you initially got interested in real estate when you went to go buy your first house yes. in Sherwood Forest and you couldn't get a response out of the real estate agent. So you went, you went ahead and got your own license. Where did you, where did you go from there? So that particular semester, I decided instead of buying a house, I would buy a fourplex because I discovered you can get a residential owner occupied loan on a four, three, two, one dwelling property. Absolutely. So I said, wait a minute. So I found a, a fourplex. So how much did you put down on that? I put down three, three and a half percent, something like it was four thousand dollars. I yeah. think. Borrowed it from my dad. So the building was eighty-one thousand dollars, and I think it was I don't know eleven percent, fifteen years fixed. My note was nine hundred and twenty-eight dollars and thirty-five cents a month. So from day one. I went from married student housing in a center block three bedroom at LSU, where I think I was paying $367, all utilities included, to now I'm living in this 1,500 square foot three bedroom, and the tenants are paying my note. So I don't have, I have a free place to live now. So December of 1988, I'm living in this big thing. It took me a while to kind of use the whole apartment because it was just so big for sure. me. And and so the two, two of my tenants, basically two and a half of my tenants would pay the note. So that it, it covered everything. So I said, for 15 years, this thing's going to get paid off. So every month, my net worth went up in two ways. One, the principal reduction on sure. a 15-year mortgage, it, it pays off pretty quickly. So the 928, maybe half of it was principal, the other half was interest. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Well, the other one was asset appreciation. That building that was renting for $325 for a two-bedroom and $425 for a three, today it's $1,100 for a three and it's $800 to $850 for a two. The buildings are older, presumably not as nice. Mm -hmm. Why am I getting so much more rent? Inflation, 15, 20 years, everything doubled. Sure. My mortgage payment stayed the same, $928.35. So from day one, if I could just break even, it's a good deal. Yeah. So today, I think I'm getting $4,500 a month on that building. Every, every young, like 19, 20, 21-year-old person that I talk to about real estate investing, like, what advice do you have for me? I said, man, if I could go back to 19, 20 years old, I would do exactly what you just described. I would go buy a fourplex with an FHA loan, put nothing down, yeah. live for free, and then get, get income on top of it. Absolute no-brainer that you, you don't need to be rich to get into. Absolutely. Now, the other cool thing that I did for myself, which was how do you buy that next house? So it's pretty cool that now I got this $928 note, and I was there for eight years. because I really had it in my mind that I would be 
debt free and have a million dollars before I had any luxury items. So I had a $1,500 truck. I had a $1,500 boat and I had a dog that was probably worth 1500 bucks. <laughs> he adopted me. I got him for free, but it was really worth, it was an amazing chocolate lab. So I had a chocolate, a chocolate uh, lab. I had a brown little car and uh, what was the other? Anyway. So how did you get the next one? Oh, my, my boat was brown too. So I had three, three $1,500 <laughs> items. Uh, so I, I start, I saw a guy who was a, uh, Bill Wood Smith, he was a, he was a real estate agent who specialized in repos, houses that were bank owned or whatever. And I was driving around Magnolia Woods, looking at houses with big yards where I could do a little workshop in the back. And then I stumbled upon this lake. And I was like, where the heck am I? I didn't know there was a lake in the middle of this area, Walden. Mm -hmm. So I see this house, I see Bill Wood's sign on there, and I'm like, ding, 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 ding. This has got to be a, like a, a good deal. Oh, yeah. So I got in there, $189,000 for a 3,000-square-foot home. Put an offer in, boom, bought it. Today the house is probably worth $450,000, and I haven't really done anything to the house. It's mm -hmm. on a lake. It's gorgeous. But I was able to rent my three-bedroom that I actually converted to a four and a half. So I, I ripped out the attic and did some stuff. But anyway, so the, that building and those four tenants now, mm -hmm. not only bought the fourplex, but they paid off my home too. Awesome. So that one fourplex, if I had done nothing else in my life, I would today, I would have 4,200 a month coming in clean on the fourplex. And my $189,000 house, I'd be living in, I'd be home, my home is paid off. It is paid off. Yeah. So I've got a $450,000 house and a $400,000 or three fifty dollars building all paid off by those four tenants. That's awesome. So I always felt like, what, what should I do? I'd go around. I would clean their apartments. I would <laughs> clean their, I was like really good at cleaning toilets. My mom made us really great cleaners. I was always like keeping everything up. Do your air filter kind of vacuum. I got this really great curvy vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so I was always into like, trying to show some gratitude because I understood that they were buying my home. Sure. They were buying my financial independence. So every tenant that I have that I, I get to meet, we have 600 units that we manage. I always tell them, I'm very happy to have you as a renter. We're going to be happy to receive your rent, but I'm going to be more happy if you take advantage of some of my abilities to help you become a homeowner. Your credit score may not be good enough. Whatever the situation is, I will be much happier helping you become financially independent by helping you get into a property. So I've succeeded in that very little in my life. So I got all these tenants who keep making me more money, and I just haven't done a very good job of converting. Now, the ones I have, they think I'm just like the smartest guy in the world. And so that was my next question. Do you, do you find your property management side of the business feeds the, the real estate agency? Um, to some degree, and we have a lot of investors who've come in because I also wanted to stay small. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just keep expanding and expanding and expanding and get so big that you can't take care yeah, of Yeah, you can't take care of what you have. Even right now, I can sell everything. I can sell half of what I have and be debt free. Mm -hmm. So I'd have 75 places free and clear. I can live on that. Sure. So I was, I was bartending at Bennigan's and I met four guys that were my happy hour regulars. And each one of them had over $50 million that they could have walked away with. And when I showed them my LSU 3190 project paper, which said, I'm going to buy a fourplex. And then after I buy a fourplex, I'm going to buy a hundred unit apartment complex. Mm -hmm. 
and then you know, work, I'm, I'm gonna work my butt off and pay it off as fast as I can, and that's gonna be my income for life. And they said, Carlos, we're gonna give you some advice. There's no doubt that you're gonna be able to get your 100,000 a year to get your million dollars in net worth, and you're gonna get it a lot faster than you think you're gonna get it, because you're kinda like, you're sharp and you're on the right track. But the most important thing in your entire project is the last paragraph. And if you could just please listen to what we're going to tell you and let this lead you for the rest of your life, you'll be happy forever. And I'm like, what? These are like these filthy rich guys. And they all shared their little stories and said, yeah, I could have walked away with 50 million. I could have walked away with 200 million and blah, blah, blah. So they all told me how much they had and how much they lost. And all of them lost everything because they kept doubling down, doubling down, doubling down. I made a million. Carlos, you're going to make your million bucks. But don't you dare use that million to go make two million. Right. You keep that million sacred because your paragraph at the end says, I want to make a million dollars so that I can be free to spend time with my family and have security for the rest of my life and not have to live in fear with my ability to provide for my family. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked away from deals because it had an ounce of risk. Yeah. So that really hit me. And so I've had so many opportunities to make more money. I really got into it when it was really easy to make money doing this. There was just like tons of property. And, and when I was successful, I had tons of people offering me money to be sure. partners with me. And I was like, no, I'm just going to keep it simple. If you want to get into it, I'll help you get into it. So I've helped a lot of people become very successful separate from me. But I just try to keep my little, my little equation very simple. So having freedom and keeping it small was a priority for me. So... You, we, we know how you got into the fourplex and then how you parlayed the fourplex into paying for your primary residence. What did you do next? Well, at the time, my intention was to go buy a 100-unit apartment complex and go find a trashy, you know, beat-up unit. And, and I had a track record for being successful at doing that because I did it for someone else, okay. which was a great experience where I learned some more valuable lessons that where I developed, wait, I just turned this apartment, uh, this apartment complex around in 45 days and made these people a million bucks. So did you, did you, 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 you worked as a property manager for someone else? I got hired. Yeah. Um, before I bought my fourplex, I was a property manager. I had a free apartment and 800 bucks. And before that I was the secure nighttime security guard at the Capitol Lake apartments. Did you, did you just stumble into that by happenstance or yes. did you seek out the opportunity to learn about real estate? Totally happenstance because I was, I was looking to minimize my out-of-pocket expenses. So how can I live for free somewhere? So I, I was a nighttime security guard at Capitol Lake Apartments, which was a great student job. You have to be home every night. Hmm. Oh, okay, so I can't go party and I got to be home. Sure. That's a good job for a free apartment. And then I just stumbled upon a manager $800 a month and a free apartment. It was the Bon Marche area, which was the worst right. crime riddled spot in Baton Rouge. So Diane Duplessis met me there and I had my pregnant wife at the time 
And she goes, uh, you sure you want to work here? I said, yeah. I mean, what do you do to get the job? She goes, all you got to do is want the job and I'll give you the keys. <laughs> and I was like, because she was hired to hire someone. Right. And I'm looking around and it's like really sketchy. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I need the job. So I go into my, uh, it was all like two bedroom apartments, but for some reason, my mine was a three bedroom mm -hmm. right across from the office. Quickly, I realized in the middle of, that the previous manager was a major drug dealer. Because I had the needles oh, wow. in the shower curtains. They were filled with like needles. She had a, a, and she took out bricks from the parking lot wall and had a metal slide thing like to hand out the drugs into the parking lot. <laughs> oh, wow. It was really bad. So I'm looking at the books and there's, there's a hundred unit apartment complex. It was mm -hmm. called the Winchester Apartments. And it was a hundred units, all utilities included. So I'm looking at the deposit slips and there's 20 units paying rent, but I'm looking around and I'm like, this thing's hundred percent full. There's 80 people living here, not paying rent. Or maybe the manager has been pocketing the rent. Right. Something is like seriously screwed up here. So I realized that the manager is a drug dealer. She's stealing rents and this whole thing is nothing but criminals. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, how do I get rid of and clean this thing up? So my next idea was probably the most. Go buy a gun. <laughs> the opposite. The opposite. I uh, have a video camera, but I wrote a letter to all hundred units. Hey guys, I'm the new resident manager. I've noticed that there's a lot of rats, roaches, and criminal activity here. I don't want to live in that environment, and I know you don't either. So in order to get rid of the problems. We're going to go into every single unit this weekend with police, with dogs, and they're going to look for anything out of the ordinary. And I know you're not the problem, but this is the way that we're going to clean the whole place up. So please know that we're coming in this weekend. And on Monday, I look forward to meeting you at the apartment, at, at the office. Mm -hmm. So I jumped in my Volkswagen bug with my wife, who is pregnant. We went to Fort Pickens with our kids <laughs> in Pensacola and we went for the weekend. Had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't meet with the police. Yeah. I didn't have anything set up. Huge bluff. <laughs> Huge bluff. I got back and it was like a bomb had gone off because there was also furniture included. So there was no records of anything. So I didn't know whose couch was what. And literally 80 apartments moved out that weekend. Wow. Furniture all over the courtyards. And sure enough, when I got there Monday morning, 20 people came to meet me. Oh my God, you're a breath of fresh air. I cannot believe you were able to get rid of all the criminals. And I was like, holy smokes. So I go down to the basketball courts right across the street on North Donmore. Uh -huh. And I go meet, you know, the really the, the thugs of the neighborhood. And that's what you can see. That's where they were doing sure. all their business. So I, I stopped their game. I walked out in the middle of it and said, look guys, I just want to introduce myself. I'm your new neighbor. What you do here, I'm not going to see it. I don't, I'm not interested in what you're doing. I'm not trying to interfere with what you're doing, but I just want to let you know that if you have a girlfriend, a mother, a grandmother that needs a safe place to live, the Winchester apartments from today on is going to be a safe place for everybody. It's going to be clean. There's going to be no criminal activity. There will be no drug dealing here, but it can be a sanctuary for people that you love. 
And they all looked at me like, man, you are crazy. (laughs) We respect you. We respect you. That is the reason I'm still alive today. That thing that came naturally for me, Mm -hmm. a sense of respect. They're surviving in whatever way they could survive, but there's a respect thing that'll get you killed if you cross that line. Sure. They could be wrong for what they're doing, but if you cross that respect and said that, I respect what you're doing. I just need you to respect me. So the entire area might have been a couple thousand apartments, and we had 100. And the whole occupancy for the whole neighborhood was about 50%. Mm -hmm. So within 45 days, we became 100% full. The apartment complex sold to some new investors. And I realized that I just made these people, I probably added a million dollars of value to this apartment complex, if not more. So then I said, I want to go buy a complex like this and do it for myself. Well, there wasn't anything for sale, Mm -hmm. but there were a ton of fourplexes for sale. And so I just started buying fourplexes. And so that's how I got started. Okay. And that's, that's still the fourplexes you own today. Which was a very high crime area at the time. And I'd buy stuff which would be considered relatively cheap, worked my butt off with all kind of, you know, making the places decent to live in, respecting people. Now, how did you go about buying those properties? What, what did you use to buy them with? What kind of financing did you use? At the time, uh, my dad, who was an engineer, worked for Kaiser for, gosh, maybe 25 years or so, uh, had opened uh, a chemical plant in the Virgin Islands, reopened it, and ended up just having uh, – a chunk of cash, mm-hmm. you know, half a million bucks, what he was going to be given for a buyout. They bought him out. And so he had 250000 this year, 250000 next year. So he was very upset that he wasn't going to be the plant manager there. And so it wasn't a good thing. He was right. very upset. He was distraught. It was his dream job. They had closed the plant down. He found an investor to reopen his plant. Mm-hmm. So um, I had these opportunities. And I was starting to go after where can I borrow money? Mm-hmm. Because at the time, banks weren't loaning any money. They had sure. tons of inventory of bad real estate loans yeah. and property they were trying to get rid of, but they wouldn't loan you the money to buy it. Yeah, that, that's how the cycles work. So I went to my dad, and my stepmother got with me. She goes, please borrow this money from your dad mm-hmm. because he's gonna, he was going to invest in a Wicks and Sticks. <laughs> it was like some little mall. I just couldn't see it. A little bookstore selling candles. Yeah. He was going to maybe buy Augie's Glasshouse Restaurant in New Orleans. <laughs> Never owned a restaurant before. He, was, he had an ad in the Atlanta uh, newspaper. If you're an in- inventor, bring me your invention and I'll finance <laughs> it. So I was listening to some of your podcasts. There was one guy saying there's investment and then there's speculation. Yeah. So he was pretty much being 100% speculator where you run the risk of losing everything you have sure. as opposed to an investment where you're just, you're never going to go to zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so Claire, my, my stepmom said, look, you know, borrow money from your dad, whatever you got to do, convince him. So uh, that's the only money my dad had in the world. He was unemployed. He was really stressed out. And he goes, I said, Pop, what do you need? How much money do you need to live? Mm-hmm. For God's sake, you got a house, a condo that's paid off. Yeah. You don't need a lot of money. You, you pretty much got half a million bucks. You should be like set. He goes, I need 4000 a month. I said, all right. If you loan me $250,000, I'll give you 4000 a month. And you can live on that. 
He was like, how in the world can you afford to give me that? I said, I, don't worry, I'll buy properties that are gonna cash flow and I'll have enough for me and for you. Mm -hmm. And he found it hard to believe. And I said, you know, what interest rate? I said, 18%. How could you say no to that? Right. Which was a, kind of a funny story. So we go to his attorney, which is a local big, big name attorney. And he goes, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> You know, my dad wasn't just going to loan it to me on a tissue paper. It was going to be a formal mortgage, right? Sure. And so he goes, yeah, write it up. 18% interest, $250,000, $4,000 a month payments. And, and the attorney looks at him and says, no, really, Carlos. <laughs> my dad's, I'm Carlos Jr., so Carlos Sr. Carlos, it's, uh, no, really, what's the interest rate going to be? <laughs> and he goes, it's 18%. My dad bowed up to him very seriously. My son gave me his word. That's the deal, and that's the deal. He goes, well, it's called usury, and see legal. <laughs> I said, write it at whatever you want to write it at. Pop, I'm going to give you your 18%. Yeah. Because that's the deal. So I did. I gave him 18%. He got his 4000 a month. Then he was like, I just can't believe that you're paying me 18% interest in 4000 a month, and you're able to still do okay. Mm. So he goes, I think I'm going to move to Baton Rouge and figure this out. So now the teacher becomes the student. Yeah. You know, my dad's always been my, my idol, very brilliant engineer, talked about economics and world cycles for alumina, and bauxite. And, you know, I really, a good visionary for that industry that he was in. But in real estate, he was like, he'd always, in the 60s and 70s, he'd man, one day I'm going to do real yeah, estate. Yeah. And he never, never did it. So he, he and Claire moved to Baton Rouge. And I still owed him the $250,000. He was, there was a little deal and he goes, well, I can buy this deal. I said, yeah, you can. So Regions Bank had some, some properties and they financed it. It was $800,000 worth of property. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, I need the 250 for the down payment. I said, no, you don't. The $250,000 mortgage that you have with me, that's a, that's something that you could use as collateral. Mm -hmm. So now don't, you can go to the bank. They're going to give you an eight, a hundred percent of the money. So my dad was able to buy his apartments 100% financed because they got the property mortgaged as well as my mortgage to him for the $250,000. Nice. So they had 125% collateral. You know, they had all the collateral they needed. So they loaned him 100% of the money. So my dad today and Claire, they worked their butts off. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of a very interesting thing psychologically. There's nothing that helps you ground you better than going to clean an apartment and mm -hmm. fixing an apartment. So my dad, being an engineer, very mental, yeah. you know, good, hardworking guy in the yard, but never really did a lot of construction stuff. Mm -hmm. He bought one of those macho belts. <laughs> and I was like, what's a macho belt? He goes, man, he was so proud of his macho belt. Does that hammer? It had a tape measure and it was one of those leather belts that you put your tools in. Yeah. He felt like a, a stud <laughs> and he and Claire went to these terrible apartments and started fixing them up, cleaning them, painting them with their hundred percent loan. Today it's, uh, they, they totally revitalized those apartments. Now where are those? Those are on GSRI, okay. 11 GSRI, the plantation two townhomes. They created a gated community. Oh, cool. He, as an engineer, he's going to do the big picture and how can we sure. do this? He bought all the property surrounding that property because the ones surrounding it were breaking in. Yeah, yeah. So they did that for 20 years. So he worked for 25 years for Kaiser and has 
less than $500 a month in a pension check that he gets mm-hmm. because their pension went to kind of like an Enron thing. It just went to sure. nothing. Then they have all these apartments and now he's three or $4 million worth of apartments. He has plenty of income. So that was their story. So that $250,000 is how I started mine. And that, 150 units. that same 250 started, started him. him. That's awesome. That's so a great story. It was really, uh, it was a really good thing. It, it was a low, you know, real estate was cheap, yeah. but you had to be able to find the money. Yeah. So once you get some traction, then the commercial lenders will see you and say, well, everybody else is risky, but you're a great opportunity. So Regions Bank, it was Guarantee Bank at the time, uh-huh. were one of the first banks making those commercial, commercial loans. loans. And so that worked out really well. So, you know, they loaned my dad money, they loaned me money, and it became Regions. And then uh, I think at the time, the interest rates were like 9%, 10%. Mm-hmm. Today, those same loans with the same banks are probably 5.5%. Right. Yeah, so well, that's an awesome story. If you can buy stuff cheap enough, it's okay to pay a higher interest rate as long as it cash flows. So the next question we normally have on our show is tell us about your highlights and your lowlights. And we've heard some great stories here, so I imagine some of those will fall in the categories. But what's your what's your biggest home run? And then what was your kind of biggest failure or or something that lost money or something that went wrong? All right. Well, the biggest uh, home run came on eighty two thirty governor. That was a property that, that it was boarded up, three bedroom, two bath condos, mm-hmm. um, right in that little area that I had yep, bought I'm my very familiar in. with it. So I looked up who owned it. I have, back then it was, you could go and have a list of REOs. Mm-hmm. And banks would have just tons and tons of property. Well, this one was in my neighborhood. So I went to Pelican Homestead, went to the lady who was in charge of real estate sales for Pelican in charge of that whole list of assets. And I said, I want to buy this one. And she goes, Oh no, we don't have an appraisal on that one yet. So you can't, it's not for sale. I said, I don't understand. Your only job at the bank is to dispose of these assets and you're refusing to receive an offer from me on it. Isn't an appraisal going to give you kind of a sense of what the market is. Mm-hmm. And we're in kind of a crazy market with not a lot of good comps. I'm willing to offer cash to buy this building and you could at least consider it. Yeah. Why do you have to wait on an appraisal? It makes no sense to me. And she was like, no, I'm not going to allow you to leave me an offer. And I was like, okay, that sounds like maybe she might be one of these people that's looking to sell it to one of her family members. Brother-in-law deals. <laughs> right. A little, a little sketchy. Didn't make sense. So I go home frustrated and I decide, you know what? I'm going to call the president of the bank, New Orleans called the president of the bank. I said, look, I have a question for you. You have a lady in Baton Rouge with a list of assets and I want to buy one of them. How would you feel if I told you she's refusing to accept an offer from me on one of them? He goes, she's doing what? Yeah, she's got some excuse that she needs to get appraisals on everything before she can even look at an offer. He goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. I said, I didn't think so. Being the president of the bank, you would have some common sense, but there may be some self-dealing or maybe she's just not that skilled. Maybe she doesn't know what they're worth and she wants an appraisal before she prices it. That makes some sense. But at least have my offer on your desk. Waiting for when the appraisal did come But she refused to accept it. She She wouldn't put her hands on my offer. He goes, send me the offer. I was like, well, I guess I can send him my lowball offer and it was 40,000. And I hadn't even gone in the building to see it, it was boarded up. Yeah. So 
he writes accepted across the whole page <laughs> and says she will be there at the closing. So he was kind of teaching her a lesson. Right. I make the decisions about accepting or not accepting an offer, not you. Sure. You bring me the offers, I accept them. So he sent her that signal. Well, that building brings me in 4,000 a month today. Oh, wow. And so that was the best 40 grand I ever spent. I bet. But also having a little tenacity. Yeah. Just because someone says something doesn't mean it's so. Absolutely. So if you want to make an offer, sometimes you got to push. You know about that, and I noticed this when I first started, and I was, I was going from, uh, from bank to bank, trying to find somebody that would do a cash out refinance on yes. day one, you know, without making me wait. And every bank, I mean, I must have gone through 20 before I found one that would do it. But every, everyone said, no, no bank will do that. And then the next one, no, no bank will do that. And it always pissed me off. because I'm like, no, you won't do that. Don't tell me nobody else will do it because I'll keep asking and I'll find somebody who will. Yeah, so part of the, uh, the work is working on presenting your offer. If it makes sense to you, it's bound to make sense to someone else because investors want to make money. Right. So you just got to present it to someone who can see your vision and, and they're going to make their money. Sure. So, uh, so that, anyway, that was a, a good home run. What about a good bust? You got a good bust for us? Yeah. Yeah. It, it probably has more to do with my personality because I just, I'm so concerned with my reputation and my name that I would never do anything. If, even if it could make me a lot of money, I would never, I'm sorry. I would never take a chance with your money. Right. I'm just that way. I'm just my name. My dad brought us up that we're the only patiales in this country from Cuba. So when somebody sees a patiale, it's going to be whatever you become. Right. So if you're a thief, the patiales are thieves. If you're a guy of high integrity and high honor, that's what a patiale is. So I've always had that as a kid growing up, yeah. a high sense of fiduciary obligation. Of, you know, I, I just prefer having less than taking a risk of hurting someone else. Sure. But that was a situation where an investor called me up. He goes, I just want you to know how much money you cost me because you were so worried about risking my money that you didn't move forward on this deal that we were going to do together. And it just sold and we would have made millions. Yeah. So but please don't be so concerned with other people's money. We're big boys. It's, it's so funny to me how often the answer to that question is the deal I didn't do. It's always the one that got away. Very, very seldomly does somebody answer that question with, oh, I bought this and I lost all these thousands of dollars on it. It's always, I should have bought more. I should have done this deal. I, I, I went too conservative on the offer on this one. It's always the one who got away. Well, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I haven't been sued because I know one investor, he had slummy properties and a girl fell off of a balcony that was uh, just yeah. and broke her neck. So he had a million dollar umbrella policy. Uh -huh. All right. With State Farm. Well, then State Farm said, yeah, but he was a slumlord. He was negligent. So the court found that they were going to give a million dollars to the girl. But it wasn't coming from State Farm. 50% from State Farm, 50% from him. So he owned 350 units in Baton Rouge. He's an attorney who was just a famous slumlord. Mm -hmm. He sold his trash as fast as he could because he then realized that he had 350 possible lawsuits. Right. He had 350 units and he dumped 
and he dumped them as fast as he could dump them. But he wrote a check for half a million dollars cash because he got sued. So I'm not a slumlord. I've had people get hurt on properties. I had one guy, we were roofing, for God's sake, we put a roof on his building. And now all of a sudden, months later, his legs cut off and he was a soccer coach. And I see him one legged dude flopping around to the, uh, you know, with his peg leg to the mail. And I said, dude, what happened to your leg? And he goes, I stepped on a nail, you know, when we did that roof and I was like, what? Infected. It got infected. He didn't buy the antibiotics and he was a diabetic. So they're very susceptible sure. to problems. And he goes, Carlos, as much as you do for the community and as much as you do for everything, there's no way I was going to try to hook this on you. Oh, that's awesome. I was like, dude, <laughs> I mean, I've never been sued, but for yeah. God's sake, this yeah. is legitimate. Yeah. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it was my fault. I could have bought, I said, yeah, I didn't have the money for the medicine. I should have bought the medicine. I was stupid. I could have called you for the medicine. I didn't do it. Now it's too late. It was my ignorance. That's why I lost my leg because I was ignorant. And I was just like, it blew my mind because this is such a litigious state. Sure. So being with 600 units that we manage, people fall down, things happen. But it's, it's amazing that I've survived without ever getting hit like that because things happen. Mm -hmm. You know, but, I mean, you can lose everything. Like I always think I'm a doomsday, like what could go wrong? Right. Life is great for me. So for example, you own property. Oh, I'm just gonna get my money in the mailbox. And you don't think about these things like I think about them. You could lose everything. For example, somebody moves out of your house and you rent it to someone else. You didn't change the locks. Mm -hmm. Well, the new family gets in there and the daughter gets raped and killed in the apartment the house how did they get in there's no sign of burglarizing you didn't change the locks you don't know who has the old key so for 30 years i've been preventing that from happening so i have a notebook that i record every single key code as my proof my defense that i did change the locks you think how can you be that worried about everything i do yeah. Because I cannot afford, I'm not a doctor who makes a bunch of money. I can't reproduce my net worth. So sure. I, I guard it. You got to protect I it. I protect it with everything. It's so much extra work to do the things that we do to do it right. It's because we want our customers to be safe. Yeah. And to have a good experience, but it's also self-preservation. Sure. So there's a lot of work in this because you can lose everything overnight oh, yeah. by getting sued. So that's a blessing. So I can't say that I've been sued and I screwed up and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but certainly that was a really interesting deal. And it goes back to don't even trust your bankers. Sure. My dad has said, when you're an entrepreneur, your banker is your board of directors. And I really, when my dad spoke, I really, I would lock things in. Mm -hmm. So I had the Capitol Lake apartments by the governor's mansion under contract to buy it from day one. It was going to be a hundred thousand dollars a month of positive cash flow. And I had this Italian guy renting from me, one of my apartments, uh, Simone Fraternali, super nice guy. Uh, his dad had bought some RTC property back in the day. And Simone came here to manage that piece of the portfolio that his dad kept that didn't flip it. Mm -hmm. So Simone is living in one of my little bungalows 
and he's got a chunk of money. And uh, I said, man, I got this deal and Regents Bank or Guarantee Bank at the time, it was David Knight, was the vice president. And I'm moving forward to do this loan. I'm going to buy this apartment complex. And at the last minute, the bank loan doesn't pass the board. And I'm like, what the heck? This is like gold. This is like no brainer. It was the same apartment complex I was the security guard at. So I knew this property inside and out. And I knew that the owners, you can look at the finances and they were taking so much money off the top from the partners. Mm -hmm. I said, just the money that they're taking off the top is a hundred grand mm -hmm. of profits. Cause I'm going to be the owner. I'm going to be the manager. There's all this extra money there. Plus I can make it nicer. So I mentioned it to Simone and I said, Oh, Simone, man, I can't believe this. I'm, I'm distraught. I'm not gonna be able to buy this property. He goes, Carlos, is it a good deal? I said, Oh, Simone, man, it's like a freaking no brainer. I know the property. I had a loan. He goes, let's do it. I'll put a hundred percent. I'll be the bank. We'll be 50, 50 partners. And I, and I, so there's no risk to me. Yeah. Zero. And I said, Simone, I can't do that. And he goes, what do you mean you can't do that? I thought you said it was a great deal. I said, in my heart, I'm 100% sure it's a great deal. But I have to listen to my dad's voice in my head that says, if there's a reason that board of directors said it's a bad deal, I shouldn't do it. And I don't want to risk your money because I'm going to trust my bank. My bank. But guess what? There's people that are corrupt. My, the vice president, he was pissed. Because he told me that it was a done deal. Yeah. And when the board wouldn't get approved, guess what? And I didn't follow through to see what maybe happened. But there was another investor uh, who might have been a bigger bank. Bigger, bigger customer. Bigger customer, something. My deal got pushed aside and somebody else got approved. Got it. And it could have been some other reason that I don't know. That was a legitimate concern. Yeah. I've, I've had other, in other interviews, I've had investors say that, uh, Typically, if they couldn't find a bank to do the deal, they later realized it was a bad deal. That, that, that like you say, using the bank as that board of directors, they're, uh, they're pretty into running the numbers. So yeah. <laughs> if they're not interested, maybe you should take a double take. Yeah, there, there was one, one environmental consideration. Uh -huh. So the lake between the governor's mansion and those apartments, there was some Westinghouse electrical transformers that had leaked into that lake. Mm. And because the Capitol Lake apartments had a small frontage to that lake, maybe whoever owned property would be having to clean the lake up or something. Sure. And uh, is Westinghouse going to pay for it or whatever? Right. So that was, as I re recall, that could have been enough to scare the bank off because that's an unknown an environmental risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just took that and said, you know what? I don't know anything about environmental hazardous waste <laughs> stuff. Let's don't do it. Yeah. Even though I personally had nothing to lose. Just sure. the morning was going to put hundred percent of the money. Yeah. But he did call me a couple of years <laughs> later and says, Carl, I just want to let you know how much money you cost us. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was my big fish that got away. So what advice do you have for new investors or somebody who's on the fence about getting started or maybe just got started looking to scale? What, what advice do you have for, for these guys? I think one of the, the biggest things that people get burnt out on real estate is you got to go far away to go, to go get to it. So mm -hmm. I would say try to invest. If you could find a fourplex, that's ideal. 
because mm-hmm. um, you can, it's just easier. It's less risky. Close by? Uh, close by between your work and where you currently live. Yeah. So that my, way stopping by to check on the property is not out of your way. Is something that's handy. My, my first property was in Baker. Mm-hmm. And now, now all of my properties are, are a lot closer. Mm-hmm. But if I had to drive to Baker every time that I had to go check on one of my properties, I would have gotten burned out pretty quickly. Yeah, so that, so that does happen. So make it easy on yourself. Uh, there's good managers out there that you can hire, mm-hmm. but don't just trust your managers. I mean, I had literally yesterday, I'm out in the woods hunting, and I had a lady that has 150 units of her own. The family has 150 other units that she's been taking care of for three years, and she wants to know if I'm willing to be the manager for those. She goes, I just don't understand why things are going. I hired a manager, and the properties are horrible. I was like, when's the last time you drove by? You've been taking care of this for three years. She goes, well, yeah, but I shouldn't have to drive by. I said, so? No. <laughs> you got to have some you level gotta of understanding. Expect of what, what you expect. Just because you hire someone, you can't just assume that they're not horrible. Right. You got to manage your managers. So it's easier to do that when it's somewhere convenient to pass by. Got it. So that's, that's probably some good. And also, you know the market. Yeah. You know, when I first decided I was going to buy real estate, I had that in mind. Where is it going to be convenient for me? Because this is a long-term thing. It's a 30-year thing. I'm not a go in and get out in one year. Sure. I went to Puerto Rico. I went to Miami. I went to Atlanta. And, and just Baton Rouge. And I looked at what I could buy to start my 30-year process. And I think, one, I just, I'd go to Atlanta and it's so big where where is the real estate moving where's the future value going to be and i could i didn't get a sense that i knew where the trends were moving towards but in baton rouge i said you know what that little guardier it is a pimple in the middle of this beautiful area yeah surrounded by industry expensive homes so i had a really confident gut feeling because i'm from here sure now certainly the university town capital city so you have to look at big macroeconomic things. What could go wrong? You know, like Lafayette, if the oil prices are down, real estate values crash. Everybody moves out. Yeah. So we're so well diversified in Baton Rouge. So all those things you have to take into account. Absolutely. That's great advice. So what's next for you? Well, I've been working hard on developing um, a team of uh, – my property managers and company. So I don't, I'm really not interested in buying a whole lot more. So just managing what I have. So the best thing I could do to improve the value and protect what I have is to manage everything around me. So I've offered my management services to all the properties close to me. Mm-hmm. So that provides, uh, you know, a, uh, I remember when I tried to buy something from you a couple of years ago, you said, as long as I can continue to manage it, because I want, control of you know who my neighbors are renting to yeah I had had that one bad experience where I helped this one guy out and I sold him one condo that I had and then he put in some drug dealers in it and I'm like dude do you realize he goes yeah I know they're drug dealers I was like well why would you put him in the middle of my neighborhood on this unit that I helped you get he goes I figured because of the way you are now you'll probably give me double what I paid for it oh, just man. to get rid of it. That was a painful lesson. 
I was really upset, but I set myself up for that. Right. So I've worked very hard on buying the things in a, in a little area, running out the criminals and managing stuff around me. Cause I did find that 50% of my time was dealing with properties I didn't own. I'm doing all this work to improve the area, but I'm getting no benefit as far as management fees. Sure. Plus it's hard. I had one guy called up and said, look, you got these, these, these drug dealers in this building, you got to evict them. And he was like, why don't you evict them? Why don't you buy the building? Then you can do what you want. I'm not going to evict them. I live in Pondville. I'm far away. I'm an old man. Yeah. All I know is the rent shows up. I said, I guess I'm going to buy this building. I didn't want to buy it, <laughs> you buy it just but see. I bought it just so I can clean it up. It was right across from all my stuff. I, I've, I've felt that way before. I've, I've wanted to buy a building just so I could evict the, my building's neighbors. Yeah. So, you know, it, it became, I didn't want to manage for other people, quite frankly, because I always knew that you don't get appreciated for what you right. did. Right. But it, it has worked out. You know, yeah. I have a cloud-based system. That took me a long time. I'm old school, notebook, kind of, but I'm very comfortable with my software. I use Appfolio. Okay. Um, do you like develop, it? Do you like it? I like it a lot. They developed something for, that I asked them to develop, which was kind of like a dream thing. Cool. I said, you know, I'm glad my tenants can pay with an ACH transaction, but yeah. a lot of my tenants don't have checking accounts. Sure. I said, in my, so we're, do, we're doing money orders. Yeah. And when you scan a money order, in our office or at the bank, they don't all scan correctly. Right. So it's just kind of a nightmare to get the money to the bank. Sure. And then you have the human data entry of $600 for 1342 right. A, right. maybe I'll put it to B. So now B is like, Hey, you haven't paid your rent? Like, yeah, I did. Yeah. So you have these little think mistakes that can occur, human mistakes. Sure. So I said, if you could eliminate the money order thing for me and somehow find a way, that my t cash paying tenants could just pay cash somehow to me. That would just be awesome. Because I, I really had gone to the banks and I said, I'm just going to give out my deposit slips right. to okay. my tenants. You go put your cash directly in my checking account, take a picture of the deposit slip with your name and address. And I know that that money is your money. So I kind of did that for a little while, which yeah. I was kind of crazy. Yeah. The bank's <laughs> like, you're giving your account number out to everybody. I said, it's really not a big deal. It's on every checker, right? Yeah. So I did that and uh, they came up with, the first one was every Ace Cash Express and every 7-Eleven in the nation, I have a tenant code. They walk into 7-Eleven, barcode, pay the cash anywhere in the country. And yeah. It shows up on my ledger, so I don't have the data entry. It's on the ledger. The tenant gets immediate credit for the payment and it shows up in my bank. So we don't have to go to the bank. We don't have to enter all yeah. the payments. That is like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Just that alone has eliminated one entire person, a full-time sure. person. Yeah. So no, it's great. That is awesome. That's definitely awesome. So the next part of our show, just kind of, you know, just some real quick fun questions to, you know, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Uh, first one is what's your favorite book? I'm not a really a big reader at all. Okay. No, I listen to a lot of stuff. I talk to people a lot. But I really have never read. Okay. I, I, I mean, literally, it was a struggle in high school. To, well, what's, your my, what's your favorite movie? I don't even really watch movies. <laughs> I will come out of a movie, and I'll be entertained by it, but I'll come out of it, and I couldn't even tell you the name of the movie I just saw. So my brain is photographic for things I'm really interested in, but on other things, zero. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. I cannot keep score. Playing golf, I cannot tell you how many strokes I just had on that hole. <laughs> 
but for other, for money and macroeconomic stuff, it's like, I can't get it out of my head. I just see it. So I see economic trends. I see all that kind of stuff. So it's funny. There's certain parts of my brain that are like, I don't, I'm not competitive, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just enjoying it. I hit the ball far. Damn, that was a great shot. (laughs) In tennis, I never knew the score. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not that complicated. Yeah. I can't even remember the point. So I see these guys like Jimmy Ott on the radio. He's one of my tennis friends. And he could recount 1994, <laughs> second this, that. I'm like, I don't even barely remember what our last match was, much less, you know, so people that have that part of their brain functioning very well. Anyway, I, <laughs> I see movies, action movies. Um, I do love, as far as movies go, short one-minute video clips. My favorite thing that I've enjoyed over the last two years or three years has been Nass Daily. It's okay. a uh, it's a YouTube Facebook thing, and this young kid decided he wanted to see the world and see the good in the world. So he decided he was going to do a sixty second video every single day for a thousand days. Oh, cool! He has hundreds of millions of followers all over the world now, and he goes, "I was basically a nerd with not a lot of friends." So I love. I'm a traveler. I'm, I want to see what's on the other side of the the fence and the road and the countries. And so that for me has been a lot of fun watching those videos. I'll check it out. So NAS daily. Do do you have a favorite quote? Um, One of the ones my dad put on a napkin for me because I was a procrastinator. It was in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Luego después y veremos. Son tres calles diferentes que todos lleguen directamente a la plaza de nunca. So it's basically for procrastinators. Later, uh, we'll see, and after, are three streets that all go directly to the plaza of never. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that's that's one of the things. That's the first Spanish quote we've gotten on the show. (laughs) There you go. And then what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Um... I love working with kids. Uh, I've seen that on Facebook. Is really? it the yeah, Boys and Girls Club that you yeah, used to I just, be supporting? I, I kind of of? adopted Boys and Girls Club as a solution to a problem that we had in our apartment areas because none of the public schools had any after-school care. So these kids are getting out of school at 3 o'clock, and they're going home to the drug dealers and the thugs waiting on them yeah. or the bad kids. So um, instead of starting some program, I just went out and said, who's already got a great program for after-school care? And turned out Boys and Girls Club, I visited schools in Baton Rouge, and it's like they were everywhere else in town, but they just were nowhere in Gardier for all of our, our thousands of apartments. So uh, they said, yeah, all we need to do is to be asked, and we'll come. So I visited the principals, and anyway, so it's been, that's a success, because now every kid in Gardier has after-school care awesome. available to them in all the different schools. So that's been fun. Um, Fishing is my passion, fishing and a little bit of hunting. I'm more of a fisherman. And uh, so I take kids fishing. That's a lot of fun for me. Cool. I have a little deal with wildlife and fisheries now uh, to bring handicapped kids to me. They haven't brought one yet, but we, <laughs> she's got this like kind of a make a wish thing, but how do we get certain kids to fish? Cause they have some lakes that they have. That sure. Sometimes the fish aren't biting. So I have a 50 fish guarantee in one hour. You bring me your kid, and it could be anybody in Baton Rouge. Just if somebody wants to introduce their child to what a, a bass, a brown, a catfish looks like, I put an empty aquarium by the lake. We fill it up with a bucket with water. 
they can decorate it with little because the girls like to decorate sometimes. And they'll put sticks and twigs and we have make our little aquarium. Uh-huh. And then have a little net for the ones that don't want to grab the fish. They get scared. But I'll start throwing a round cast net mm-hmm. along the banks. And we don't know what we're going to catch, but we'll catch a little bit of everything. And so they start seeing this is a bass, this is a brim, this is a catfish, this is a turtle. And then oh, we throw them cool. in the aquarium. And then if we catch shad, we use that as bait and we throw out about eight rods and with big baits and they're live shad swimming around and then we'll catch big bass, big turtles. We just caught an alligator snapping turtle last week. And uh, so I just love the relaxation that comes from being out there fishing. And, uh, and so sharing that with the kids is great. I mean, I just did it on Burbank at the soccer fields, which mm-hmm. is close to the Gardeer sure. area. And so I, I asked one of the coaches or inner city sports program that I work with. So just give me, you know, 15 of your most needy children, we'll call yeah. them, and uh, put them in the van and bring them to me. So I had all my rods and reels ready. And then I called the sheriff's department. I said, hey, guys, I got, I'm going to have these 15 kids out here. I could use some other guys to help me monitor. I don't want any kid getting hooked and all that kind of stuff. So the three officers that came didn't know how to tie a hook. And I'm like, oh my God. So I was there an hour early with them to set up all these new rods and reels. So I got a kick in the butt out of the captain of the Gardeer precinct area. He said, Carlos, I used to fish as a little child with my parents, my grandparents. And you've just reintroduced me because I've always wondered what am I going to do in my retirement? He goes, I forgot how much fun this is. (laughs) So I had this older sheriff deputy thanking me for showing him how to tie a knot because he did it as a little kid, but. He didn't, he didn't remember. So then I have the sheriff officers helping me with the kids and that was fun. So fishing is uh, probably one of my best releases. Awesome. So where can our listeners find you, whether it's investors looking for a property manager or looking for some advice or, or somebody looking to buy a home or, or tenants looking for a great place to live? How can yeah, we get in touch with The easiest thing is my uh, website, Personal Touch Properties, LLC. Okay. So my, uh, we have a Facebook, we have a website, but Personal Touch Properties. I always felt like what made me different was I put that personal touch. I wasn't just, you know, I'm yeah. very available. All the 600 units that I have, all my residents can personally call me anytime they want, 24 hours a day. So my cell phone is on every property, every I've, lease. I know that's where I found it. Well, there you go. Dri- driving around Gardeer, I saw your sign. I said, man, that's crazy. The owner's got a cell phone number right there. That, that's how we met. Yeah, so we have a main number, the 413 number. But my 769-5005, pretty easy number. That's my, actually my cell phone. You can text me. Uh, and I get it. If you Google personal touch properties, that's the phone number is my personal cell phone. Because if somebody wants to to meet us i want them to meet me i want their first impression to be the owner i'm available i got tons of free time i've got a great team of people doing everything every day but the thing that gives me the biggest thrill is to share my knowledge or help an investor who's in trouble to get back on you know get back on and i guess being successful with their properties because sometimes they, they get in them and then they are they've made a mess and they're, they're screwed up. So I've, I've fixed a lot of problems over the years and that gives me a lot of pleasure. So if you just Google personal touch properties, LLC.com or just go to the website, my number's on there as well. I'd love to help anyone that is interested in becoming financially independent and protecting their family's future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carlos. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.